Welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, associate producer and Starista's creative copy manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ talk to Joel Harrison, editor-in-chief and co-founder of B2Bmarketing.net. He tells the guys how he went from urban planning to becoming a B2B journalist. They also discuss the success of this year's Ignite conference, as well as the importance of applying the punk ethos to the post-COVID marketplace. And Vincent worries about a book he has to read. Give it a listen. Just a heads up, while this is a great episode, we had some technical difficulties that affected the audio quality. Apologies in advance. Right, ladies and gentlemen, it's another episode of The Marketing Stir. I, of course, am your host, Vincent Petrofessa from Starista, the Vice President of B2B Products here at Starista. Starista, the identity marketing company. We help you generate new customers, keep your existing customers, enrich those customers. Enough about that. More importantly, ladies and gentlemen, my co-host on this journey. The CEO, my commander-in-chief. I'd run through a wall for this guy. Mr. AJ Gupta, what's going on? Hey, Vincent. I am just uh, walking around my house trying to get away from the uh, lawn-mowing guy who chose uh, this podcast to show up to do the lawn. Apparently not a listener of the very popular. Our numbers are Growing. I'm not even joking about that. We're actually got quite a a few listeners, more than I ever expected, into thousands and thousands. So we appreciate you people listening. We hope that we are making marketing fun for you. But uh, you know, how was your uh, how was your weekend, AJ? It was great. Uh, we uh, I'm a little bit of a pyromaniac, so. Had a great, uh, uh, great July Fourth weekend and set off some fireworks in the ranch. So I can't can't be happier. The little uh, now people probably know this because of the recent podcast that came out. But that is your favorite holiday. You love lighting stuff uh, on fire, which we have to examine that more on a separate podcast when we bring in a therapist. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but but <laughs> but uh, great. I'm glad you had a. a Glad you had a good time. How, how was uh, how are things in uh, New York? Did you guys go out for July Fourth? New York City. Uh, you know, we did. We walked around. We just did the park. We ate outside for the first time at our favorite local brunch place called Bubby's. Shout out to Bubby's here in Tribeca, New York City. But we it felt the most normal that it has in a long time. It really has. We got together with like another family on our roof and it was great. So we really enjoyed that. Uh, but speaking of enjoying, we are going to enjoy these uh, this next you know 30 minutes or so here. We've got a great guest. I am so glad he agreed to do it. I had reached out to him uh, having followed Ingo and I was really uh, impressed with what they're doing, their pivots. We'd love to welcome to the Marketing Stir, the CEO of Ingo, ladies and gentlemen, Michael Barnett. What's going on, Michael? Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. So thrilled to be invited. Vincent, it means a lot. AJ, pleasure to meet you. 
Uh, really impressed by what you guys do and, and excited to be part of this. Excited to meet your audience and uh, see how, how we can help make marketing fun together. Exactly. We're trying. We're certainly trying, Michael. We're trying to make anything fun, uh, you know, right now. But this, you know, talk to us about, you know, you're the CEO of Ingo. To our listeners who don't know, tell us a little bit about Ingo. Well, it's a pretty basic premise. So you're going to an event or you're thinking about going to an event. And what's the question you ask? Whether it's personal, business, uh, for meetings, you probably want to know who else is going to be there. So Ingo solves that. So let's say, AJ, you're, you're signing up for Fast Company Innovation Festival. And you go, oh, I want to know who else is going to be there. And we show you Vincent's going to be there. And then we suggest other people for you to invite. And they're, if you invite them, they're 100, 1,000 times more likely to go than if they get some spam email or see ads. Now that it doesn't work and it's not valuable, but... We can amplify the people that are registering for these events by getting them hooked, by showing them which of their connections are going, and then getting them even more excited and more bought in by getting them to invite people from their network to go as well. Uh, so we do that for we did that for three million execs last year at a few thousand of uh, events, the, the biggest oil events, healthcare events, PGA, uh, London Tech Week, and a few thousand others. It's been a lot of fun. We, it really gets us excited because we get to show people their relationships and how they can create more value at these events. But as you can imagine, uh, that's made COVID quite an experience for us. Uh, yeah, and, and that's kind of you know one of the reasons. I've always known what Ingo has done in the event space before, having seen it at work at some of the various events that I've gone to in the past. And I love the power of it. And we want to talk about that a little bit more. But how has that changed in the last four or five months for Ingo? Oh, I love your point about how New York getting back to normal. I mean, for us, all of a sudden, March 20th, 21st rolled around and one of our customers canceled or postponed half a billion dollars of events. And uh, you can only imagine what that meant for us. I mean, overnight what we do basically became illegal. I mean, what getting more than 10 people in a room became illegal. So for us, basically everything we did was, uh, was something we just wasn't allowed anymore. And, um, and it was a real moment of soul searching for us. It, it caused a lot of really meaningful conversations with our customers. And which one of the things I love about marketing is that at the core of it, it's about a good conversation with your customers, whether that's at scale through websites or emails or through phone calls. And so for us, that was that started as phone calls and uh, figuring out what they were going to do and realizing that bringing people together, whether through a, a podcast like this or through a webinar or through live chat or a Zoom call still had a ton of value. And that's what, what made us originally fall in love with events. That's what's Ingo's passion is bringing people together. There's so much potential, so much energy, so many ideas to be unlocked. And so that's where, you know, we realized that we still had a lot of value to bring to the table, that our customers still needed to bring people together, still could do a lot for the economy by bringing people together, and that we could we could facilitate that by showing people which of their connections were going and helping them invite more to a webinar or a virtual conference or to a podcast. Uh, and so it's been a real, it's been actually a, a growth opportunity for us um, and, and really exciting, um, at the same time quite hard, as you can imagine, because 
we're helping a lot of, we're struggling to help a lot of customers that are going through hard times and making big pivots. Now, are you helping you? Cause a lot of your customers, like you said, are, are companies that are doing live, live events. Has this given you the opportunity to reach out to a variety of them and say, Hey, look, this, you know, we understand this is a large part of your business, but we have a solution. This is how we can help. Uh, because you know, you're getting a lot of emails nowadays where people are like, Hey, we know it's a tough time. Like we can help, but you know, you're actually at the forefront of that and you're helping some of these, you know, large conferences. What have those conversations been like? It's a great question, Vincent. Uh, yeah, those conversations, I think the hardest part is you feel like you're lost in a storm for some of these people that you know, the, 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 the sailing mass has been broken in half and the compass is shattered and the, the normal way you operate is just gone. And so the, the pleasure we've had, um, and where we've, where we've stood side by side with our customers and struggled with them through this time has been to, is been to find a new course to say, okay, you have these audiences of B2B individuals whether that's Informa or Read or Daily Mail or um, many, many of the others out there. They have these incredible audiences of buyers and sellers and work with them to find new ways of unlocking that value and bringing those people together. Uh, and so that's been really our focus is that there's still sellers trying to sell, reach buyers, and there's still buyers out there looking for ways, especially now in the midst of all this disruption, to generate new revenue sources and cut costs. Uh, and so th those messages still really resonate. It's, it's not, it's still not business as usual, but it's still business. And there's still a lot of it to be done. And yeah, so that's, that's where we've, we've had the most fruitful and, and interesting conversations lately. All right, great. Uh, thanks for that uh, background. Would love to learn a little bit about your uh, early days. I saw you worked in uh, House of uh, Commons. Uh, you know, it's not something you see every day on someone's LinkedIn profile. So would love to hear what uh, you were doing right after college. Oh, sure. So House of Commons, I had a passion and still do for politics. Uh, it's a little more toxic lately and difficult to to get um, excited about sometimes. But when I at that point in time, I had the opportunity to work for an awesome member of parliament, and so spent spent some time over there working on a thesis. and uh, And it was one of those things where it started creating that passion for events and understanding relationships, where you could see that bringing the right people together to have the right conversations, you could pass legislation, improve lives of people. Um, find new opportunities. Um, and that was, you know, my passion for politics was seeing these brilliant people come together and have these conversations. And that led me to, that led to working for nonprofits and helping them largely around human rights, helping them motivate volunteers and find donors. And we figured out some tricks to get people online to sign up through Facebook, through whatnot. And those people online would then say, yeah, I'll, I'll come join you in a, in a town square, college campus, wherever it was, to, with clipboards. And you'd get people signing up, first name, last name, and you know, the phone numbers and email addresses. And it meant that very quickly you could get dozens, if not hundreds of people gathered around, filling in their information, getting excited about a cause, um, saving people in Darfur, saving you know, uh, 
preventing slavery in parts of the world, uh, preventing war crimes, whatever it was. And, um, and you get hundreds of people motivated, excited and donating and volunteering. So I got to go all over the world speaking about that. And that was really the genesis for Ingo, realizing that by bringing the right people together, you could, you could solve problems in the world. Uh, and so that was our, that's been our passion since the beginning was how do we make sure the right people not only connect at the event, but show up in the first place. That's, that's a cool uh, background story there. And then when you first started the company, was it bootstrapped? Did you uh, take in outside investment? Our viewers would love to learn a little bit more about the early days. Uh, the early days were, it feels like so long ago, I guess it was nine years, but it was step one, uh, found some friends and family that were really passionate uh, about the, the vision as well. And they helped us get off the ground. Then we got some customers who were excited as well. And that was critical. Uh, I think that what you guys do in terms of marketing and engaging, I can only imagine your, your ability to help customers focus or companies focus on their customers. Because I think initially we thought, well, you solve a problem, people pay you. And it was in those, in those conversations with those initial customers that it became very clear what they really need and where their pain points really were around growing their events and getting, getting senior executives there, people that wouldn't pay attention to some classical marketing techno techniques. Uh, and so that was the, you know, once we had those conversations with customers, we got our first, we got our first real money out of those customers. And then we started being able to get some angels and angel groups. So we raised just over 2 million in total. Uh, and, but then for quite a while now, almost, three years, we've been largely um, self-funded, growing. Uh, yeah. Cool. Great. Uh, and then uh, you kind of, you, you view yourself as a uh, software company that provides a solution or how, uh, how much of it is uh, handholding with account managers versus users coming in and setting up their own communities? Oh, that's a great question. So for us, we, uh, it's software. Uh, we're very software driven in that to a lot of our customers can be completely uh, automated. So they can set up their own campaigns. They can start getting their members, their audiences to promote their events, their webinars automatically without uh, much from us. But certainly for, especially with more complex situations and integrations, um, we provide quite a bit of service and um and consultants as well. So especially for new customers, you, they are in a position where they, they want to, they want our help understanding their community. So you can imagine like drone expo, they want to know what's going to motivate their community to advocate, to invite others to promote. And so there you, you, you have to think about the community and what motivates them, what's, what excites them in terms of giving away a drone, showing off who the top advocates are, uh, creating VIP experiences. So we've got a, you know, our team's got a lot of experience on how do you how do you get the audience to really want to build the community, build that event up into something larger than it currently is. I mean, it really revolves around recognizing people, giving them thanks, the, the normal human things, right? Recognition, incentivization, and a sense of belonging to something larger than yourself. Great. That's a, that's a good uh, value proposition there. And then uh, are largely, are your clients uh, based in certain uh, geos or is it worldwide? So that's, uh, so our customers are largely 
U.S. and London, but we've got quite a few also in Dubai, Singapore, and Sydney, and Brazil. Uh, we've grown a lot with our with our friends and partners who not only operate either in the U.S. or the U.K., but operate in those ge- uh, geographies as well. But right now, we're definitely seeing the largest growth with it. Typically, our customers are large, large trade show and conference organizers. But where the growth has been for us has been larger media companies. So Inc. and Fast Company and even some SaaS businesses as well that are looking for new ways of growing their audience, their customer base. Michael, talk to me about the event virtualization summit i've uh, you know looked at a few episodes i think those are extremely interesting i would love you to share with our audience about the virtual uh, the event virtualization summit as well as that how that came about sure so uh, as i was mentioning in march mid-march right events are becoming are getting canceled over the world and it's definitely looking looking grim for a lot of our customers that's when we started talking to them, wondering how we could help, thinking about their value proposition and realizing that at some, at some point, and even in the midst of all of this, the economy had to get back up, uh, going and growing again. And that if the economy is going to grow and grow, you really have to have buyers and sellers meet each other. And that's what a lot of our customers do. They, they, they do a great job of putting on fantastic events for buyers and sellers to connect. And start doing business, do deals, and whatnot. And without the ability to bring together more than 10 people, a lot of them are struggling to think about, well, what do they do now? So in those conversations, a lot of them had great ideas and visions for what the future looks like, for bringing people together virtually on an ongoing basis, either weekly or always through something like a, a Pinterest page where all the products for a seller were and where you could have buyers chatting. Uh, they vision for uh, very exclusive meetings of, of CEOs that typically no one else could have access to, that now you could broadcast to a larger audience and create an even larger audience for something very exclusive, but that other people would get a taste of it and still some value from it. They had visions for ongoing education within the industry that didn't have to be all at once for three days during the year, but could be all year long. And they had visions for helping coordinate meetings uh, also on an ongoing basis as opposed to just three days straight. And so all those visions sounded incredibly compelling, exciting, and interesting. They were willing to to share some of that. And so that was the the, the genesis of the event virtualization summit was to say, okay, great. You've got to share these ideas. I think think other people need to hear that. I think it's going to be good for the economy. It's going to help bring people and so we thought that we can, Ingo has a nice mailing list of a few thousand people. We thought that that'd be a good, gen- a good basis for us to get a couple hundred people to sign up. And so we launched two and a half weeks out. Uh, we got a couple hundred people to sign up by email. But what was incredible was that as they were registering, they were using Ingo and they were inviting more people. And we went from between the speakers who invited some people and then all of the attendees invited people, we ended up with almost 4,000 people registering for the event. And then what else was was very powerful was that we had 80, 90% of the people show up because we think the reason what we've seen is that when you show that 
you're connected to other people who are going. So AJ and Vincent, let's say we show you that you're going, you're both going. We send an email to you. Ingo sends an email to you saying, "Great news, Vincent. AJ is going also." It creates this urgency where you feel like you have to attend, and where you're like, "Oh, great! Vincent's going to be there. AJ's going to be there. I need to be there so I can talk to them live. I can't just watch it later." Which I think a lot of people delude themselves into thinking. So we got almost 80, 90 percent of people to, to show up live to the to the events, and um, and so the first was great. We had. Some really brilliant speakers on there from Informa, from Reed, uh, from uh, from a healthcare company, from a healthcare event company, uh, and from uh, Marketing Design Group, uh, Kimberly Hardcastle. And from there, it it's kind of exploded. We've had uh, the VP of Events for the NBA. We've had a Managing Director of Financial Times Events Group. We've had um, all of these Microsoft and Google. And other leaders attending and all, uh, or speaking on the panel and also attending. So it's, it's really grown exponentially, far greater than we ever thought. So, Michael, the event virtualization summit, that's that's all in go, putting that together, getting the guests. Uh, like you said, you have some heavy hitters there. Well, uh, it's, uh, we've been very fortunate to have some great partners on there. So, MoDev, which does um, a, a summit on voice. Uh, is also doing video production. They've been a great partner. They helped bring in Google. Uh, we partnered part with the last one with Reed Exhibitions, one of our, one of our, you know, they've been a partner and customer for a long time. They, uh, they're launching an event called MadCon, Marketing and Advertising Con, New York City, MadCon NYC. And, uh, and so we partnered with them and they brought in Microsoft, um, and the female quotient on the last one, oh, and, and the NBA, I should say, they, they were a great partner as well. And now, what do you think the the secret sauce is? Because we've talked to a number of people on this podcast, and they kind of said what you said. They're like, "Well, you know, at first we got a, a few hundred, and then before you know it, we did a webinar and we had five thousand people attend that webinar. We had to upgrade our software. Is it? Is it?" The content, the 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 speakers. What do you think the perfect mix is? Step one to me is about knowing the community. Who's who in the community can you talk to to find out what they're really concerned about? And one of them is figuring out what the white elephants are. Right now, one of the big white elephants out there to me is what's the value of virtual attending? How do you think about how much to charge a sponsor or to charge for a meet, virtual meeting? or any of this. There's very little research. We've had very little time to think about it. But it's a great topic to host an event around. Uh, especially being, so knowing the community, knowing what they're thinking about, step one. Step two is then finding the people who will have credibility and audience when they speak about it, and so they can pull in others. And then to me, it's step three is in-go referral marketing to get the audience to invite more people so that it does have a viral effect of Great, 10 people bring 20, bring 100, bring 1,000. Especially if you, because if you do those first two things right, you've got something that the community is going to find very appealing. So it will have that exponential spread. And is the community, you know, and getting a little into the nitty gritty of the software, uh, is the community based on, you know, my social network? Well, that's how we'll analyze. So for Ingo, that's certainly how we'll analyze your connections. 
and understand who you already know. So you're registering, let's say, and we're going to go, hey, can you, you want to use LinkedIn? Do you want to use Google to register faster? You click LinkedIn, let's say. We're going to analyze your network and say, oh, good news. AJ is also attending. And oh, you should also invite Sue and Mark and Dale. You go, oh, that's right. Click and they get an invite from you. And then ideally they register, become part of the community as well. So we think of it as two different things, right? There's the community, the people that are going, the people who regularly go, and then your network, either LinkedIn or Google or Salesforce if you're a sponsor. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm more apt in, as you're saying that, you know, if I'm like, you know, Hey, AJ's going, Hey, uh, you know, Jared from another company is going that you haven't spoken to in a while. It just gives you the, it just gives you the, the know-how that, Oh, they're attending. I'm going to reach out to them. It's been a while. Let's see what they're up to. That's very interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the other thing is it gives a great opportunity to top of mind. Everybody, to some degree, you see it certainly very heavily in the Middle East and Brazil, where attendees to events use it almost like a certification. Oh, I attend this event, therefore I have a certain amount of clout. But what we've seen with Ingo is that that's true just about universally as well. It's not quite as pronounced or as, as overt. But in, but everybody, if I'm attending a very exclusive or very meaningful event, I mean, think about Aspen Institute or Davos or even South by Southwest and Burning Man. There's a certain, there's certainly cachet that comes along with that. But there's also this, this, uh, I say quoi, right? There's this ineffable element of, uh, that person knows the right, know, is going to know the right things and the right connections because they're involved in, that, that kind of event in that community. So that's the other thing I think that is really important. When, it, when we talk about community, we think it's very loaded and a rich term. It deserves a lot of thought. It deserves a lot of thinking about, well, what does it mean? I mean, for, for you and for this, your community, you probably think a lot about what's the right kind of audience? Who do we really want to attract? Um, and I, that, I think it's easy for a lot of marketers out there that have a large audience already or have a lot of attendees for their events already to think that they just want more of the same. Then the truth is that if, if you're involved in finance and you're going to finance events and all you're, all you're worried about is the companies that help make credit cards and print credit cards and credit card transactions, if that was your event 10 years ago and you weren't thinking about blockchain and pure digital banking and all the rest of it, Pretty quickly, your audience got away from you, and you you could lose it. So that's where we think thinking about the the community and what they really care about and what direction they're going is really important. Um, and then Ingo layers on top of that by being able to capture a lot of that information, and being able to see what companies are growing, which ones aren't, by being able to see you know, some of those big trends as they happen. Michael, do you have a, a favorite uh, event or client that you particularly look forward to? Oh, that's so hard. I'm so, like, I've got so many passions. Uh, I really love that there's so many great tech events we're involved in. Uh, Fast Companies Innovation Festival is fantastic. Uh, I also love aviation. So, Dubai Air Show uh, is hosted by one of our customers, Dubai World Trade Center. The, uh, and then there's some really great Comic Cons um, in New York and Sydney by some of our customers. 
The one that I was very much looking forward to, and I'm very sad not to get to attend this year, is Tan Lion, one of the one of the top marketing and ad agency events in the world, uh, if not the most premier. And uh, it was really sad to see that it wasn't going to happen this year. But I'm looking forward to being an extraordinary, extraordinary time next year, and it will be my my first time attending. Oh, that does sound like fun. Uh, but uh, how about yourselves? What are your favorite events? I, I, if you don't mind me asking a question or two. No, of course not. You know, we actually, uh, Vincent and I were both at uh, Ramp Up, which has become sort of the uh, biggest industry event right before Corona hit. In fact, some of the larger companies like Microsoft and Google had canceled their conferences, but uh, we had uh, made it out to San Francisco not too, uh, not too long before the pandemic Um and other than that, our industry is in sort of an interesting place because some of the uh, larger events like the uh, DMA has uh, uh, gotten acquired by ANA. So we're going through kind of this uh, situation where uh, we're trying to figure out what the uh, right events are. And of course, there is uh, no events right now. So we have plenty of time to research. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> To yeah, to to echo that, you know, that was back in March. We went to yeah, ramp up. That was March second. March first, there were still people shaking hands and cocktail hour. That was a good one. Uh, I really enjoyed, although it's huge. I, I enjoyed going to Dreamforce one year. Uh, Demand Base does this little this uh, ABM conference. That's kind of fun. Uh, Marketo. Now it's the Adobe conference. I've been to that before. I was looking forward to going to it. But Starista is involved with a few smaller organizations like the Marketing Edge, as well as the DMCNY, the Direct Marketing Club of New York. So I like those smaller events where we get to you know, meet people in our own backyard, so to speak. So uh, yeah, but what we love live events, Michael, uh, AJ and I are, as you can tell, uh, by uh, hopefully by our energy, you know, we're friendly people. We like talking to people and meeting people. So we're, we're, this is uh, taking a toll on us, but the, the virtual events have definitely served, served their purpose. It's been, uh, you know, not, not the face to face that we, we want, but it's definitely served its purpose as far as content and uh, networking opportunities via LinkedIn, that sort of thing. Michael, how do you go about finding uh, new clients and prospects uh, for yourselves? So historically, the way we found customers was largely physical events, going to CISO and Kuki, big events on events, uh, Expo Expo, and provide and Ango was often provided on some of these so that the attendees would get the experience of using us so that when the conversation started it was easier. And then more recently it's become a matter of uh, the webinars have largely been a big driver for us that's increased web traffic. And we've got a lot of partners start distributing us as well. So those have been big those are the new big drivers for us and nurturing Nurturing the webinar attendees that express interest, uh, and then getting them to schedule meetings has been our typical route. Um, 
so Michael, since you started your own company at a pretty young age, uh, what are some of one or two kind of highlights, key things that you would recommend a young entrepreneur should take to heart who's looking to start their own business? Oh, I would first read Capizioni, The Four uh, Disciplines of the Extraordinary Executive, uh, all about, and it reflects a lot of what's in Good to Great. I think there's two, two, three business books that I think are, are critical reading, critical can, so from my perspective. Capizioni, Four Obsessions of the Extraordinary Executive, Build, build a team, figure out your goals, uh, communicate those, like, learn, figure out how to track those goals in the company and then communicate the heck out of those goals. Um, and for that, what I found, he's got some really great thinking about how to do that and how to execute that, but I actually then turned to OKRs, uh, measure what matters, and Bill Turner's methodology for how do you get the team to agree on a set of objectives and then hold themselves accountable using their own key results that they're attracted to. Uh, and then um, what happens now, uh, look like John Cohen uh, and is this great book about, it's a series of stories of entrepreneurs and these, they, I think they identify like seven key moments when it's easy to lose track of your company. Uh, I think it's, it's a great read because Almost every time you solve, you solve a major business problem, you start to think you've figured out the, the forever solution. Great. Oh, great. I've learned how to manage, a, I've learned how to build a great team. Now I can just keep doing that. And I think every time one of us gets confident, and I've heard this from so many other entrepreneurs, the moment you hear that, the moment you realize that you've started to, the moment is you started, the business has started out running. So like now you figured out how to handle oh, sorry. The moment you started to figure out how to handle a company at two to three million dollars of revenue, uh, you now have to figure out how to handle it at five or ten. And it just takes a totally different uh, set of skills that uh, John and um, his co-author do a very good job of presenting. Okay, good. So yeah, Michael, thank you for sharing those books because we uh, we've had a few guests on that have shared books and we've heard from our listeners that hey I went out and bought that book it really helped me so we appreciate that we have a lot of salespeople uh, who listen to the podcast as well are there any messages via LinkedIn that get your attention as a CEO I'm sure people reach out to you all the time what what's a LinkedIn message that you know gets your attention that's a great question. I'd love the answer to that one myself. Uh, for other people, whatever other people have said, I think the things that, that are the most meaningful to me and that we try to train on here uh, with our team is something that's meaningful to that person, like shows you, you've done some research and that based on that research, you think you can have a meaningful impact on the business. So, you know, hey, for us, it's something like, saw the really great marketing you're doing we think if your 3,000 attendees used it to invite their network, you could get another 500 attendees. That, that kind of thing, where it's like, you know, we picked, we actually capture a screen grab of some of that marketing and send it to the person and say, this is fantastic. We've seen it. We see how big your event is. We think that, you know, your event, your marketing plus and go equals 
and some real number of growth. Uh, we love doing that, and that's the kind of stuff that really has an impact on us. The other thing is obviously you know referrals, so people we know introducing. Exactly. Referrals and flattery. If someone says, well, you know, says something nice about me, then I automatically uh, will, will respond. No, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> but uh, and lastly, Michael, what, what's a message or, or that you don't like when you get on uh, LinkedIn? Just no research to get your name wrong. Like what? Uh, how do you get Michael wrong? But, you know, what 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 uh, what's what's one that you just a pet peeve that you hate when people reach out? Oh, that's a great question too. I think the 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 thing that's most painful on LinkedIn is when a, just another person says, "Hey, I think it'd be great if we were in each other's network." Wow. Yeah, and, and they had like one beautiful. shared connection. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's the person that will accept everybody's connection request. Like, wait, well, yeah. I don't understand. So, yeah. what about yourselves? I'd love to hear your pet peeves. Yeah, my my pet peeves. Uh, I take my network very seriously. I do. I'll actually, if someone reaches out to me, I'll go into InMail. I'll waste an InMail on someone and say, you know, hey Daniel, just you know, I just curious, you know, uh, you know, how how may I help, you know? And they're like, well, pa 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 pa. But a, a, a pet peeve of mine is if I get duped into request accepting your request and. Two seconds later, you you hit me with a blanket email within, I know something, I, I hate that. Just get to know me first, you know, wait a day, wait a day. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a big pet peeve of mine. AJ, what about you as a CEO? What's a pet peeve of yours when people reaching out? You know, my, my spam box has been uh, extractive ever since we recently raised the uh, 13 million. Uh, I have been getting... Uh, so many virtual coffees and I don't want to sell you anything that I'm a insurance broker and I just want to pick your brains for two hours. So it's, uh, it's been, a, I think I spend a, an hour a day just deleting messages uh, now. So, and I'm on all, all sorts of drip campaigns. So I'm a, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm going to stop there since I have a lot of pet peeves right now. <laughs> that, oh, that, that's that's a- for you guys. What, what does work? Like, what do you find to be interesting in terms of messaging and, and when people reach out to you? Go ahead, AJ. As the yeah, CEO, I'd love to hear like this. All the messages I responded to, the one that uh, I actually did respond to was a uh, offshore IT company. And I get hundreds of those from various people. But this one in particular uh, looked like somebody had done their research about me. It mentioned uh, they're also a first-generation immigrant and uh, kind of had their story on there. And uh, so it was a nice email that was more than, uh, you know, I, it was forthright in what they were looking to offer, but it was uh, I liked the background and that somebody had taken 10, 15 minutes to go through some of my articles and my LinkedIn. So that was one of the meetings I did take. Yeah, for me, it's a personal touch. So if someone comes up and says, you know, hey, we have Keith in common. I really love your work on the podcast. That's a great way to get my attention is, you know, compliment the the hard work we put into the, the podcast. You know, and, and me, I, I because I'm involved in partnerships and different products, if, if there is a relationship uh, that's going to be mutually beneficial for us to, to partner together. I'm all about the partnership. 
uh, not just because it's in my title, but really because uh, I'm fortunate to have relationships in this industry and, and clients and customers who've worked with me for many years. Uh, so that's a value to me. Just, you know, how are we going to mutually beneficial, beneficially work together? Um, so that, that's what does it for me. I loved your comment on that on that point. Your comment when I said community, when I kept saying community, and you you thought of your LinkedIn network. I thought that said a lot about how you think about the value of your LinkedIn network and the meaning and depth of those relationships. To think about your network not just as a, just a network, but as a community of people that you care about. Um, I think that says a lot, and I think it's really meaningful. Yeah, you know, I, I have this rule where if I, I hope that. With within my LinkedIn community, if someone said to me, "Hey Vincent, I'd love to get in touch with Liz," you know, can you introduce me? Well, first it would have to be I'd have to see what you're what you're trying to, you know, sell to her or, or pitch to her. But I would like to be said, "Oh yeah, I do know Liz." Not like, "Oh yeah, no, I met her like for 13 seconds at a conference." Like I I, I don't like that. Uh, you know, that's why I like we're connected. I, I take this very seriously. You know, so just, uh, and I, I'm not just saying that I really do, uh, you should see, but also I, I, if someone is trying to sell me something, I will have the decency to say, no, I'm not interested. I don't lead, you know, salespeople, uh, you know, I'm in partnerships. I, I, I do sales as well. I, I, we're making a living here. We're people. So if you could let me know, Hey, I'm not interested. That is so much better than ignoring or a maybe. I appreciate that. We're humans. Let's talk. Yeah. It's, you know, and uh, th 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 that's what I like there. But I like this, Michael. Thank you for asking us questions. This is, uh, you know, this is great. And then this has been a great session. We really appreciate you joining us. We really wanted to get your take being directly involved in, in, in the you know events business. And I, I love how you have evolved there thus far and will continue to evolve. And if interested in getting in touch with Michael, you know, you could go to ingo.me and also, you know, check out, click on event virtualization summit, take a look at those episodes. You'll hear from industry leaders. And this has been awesome, Michael, you know, so glad that uh, we have met. And thank you so much for joining us on The Marketing Stir. And I'm Vincent Petrofessa. That is AJ Gupta. Thanks for listening to The Marketing Stir Michael podcast Barnett, by Starista. Please like, Ingo. rate, and subscribe. Thank you so much for joining us, If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at Thanks info so at themarketingstir.com. Thanks for listening.